I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, we're going to be talking about the biggest Bay Area stories of the year. We've done a top 10 from fires and homelessness to mass shootings and vaping. It's a special episode, and we have an all-star cast of guests. We have Kevin Fagan, who writes about homelessness and poverty for us. John Wildermuth, who covers politics. Rachel Swan, welcome back. Covers BART and public transit and transportation. Thank you guys for coming in. Glad to be here. Pleasure. So we do this every year. Uh, we, We take a poll of the staff, correct? I hope you guys voted. This is what we think is not only the biggest stories of the year, but kind of what resonated for for us and for readers um you know what's been on the front page let's jump right into it the biggest story of the year by far almost everyone voted for it number one was the pg&e shutoffs kevin Mm -hmm. why did this thing explode into everyone's conscientiousness so much well i think everyone realized that something had to be done to prevent the horrible fires that we've had for the last couple of years so they said okay outages we'll go then reality hit not good Everyone suddenly realized they can't turn on their lights. Their food is rotting. They have no generators. Oh, my gosh, what do I do? I can't uh, call my kid because my cell phone battery burned out and I have no charger for it. It it was catastrophe and and it it affected virtually the entire region. Uh, Millions were without their power over a a, a fairly long period throughout the uh, fire season. And it disturbed everyone. And no one has a really great solution for it. John. It, it started out as, you know, news that PG&E was going to cut off certain people to avert fire danger, but it got so political so fast and led to such rage. Um, how come? Well, mainly, if you look at it, everybody has PG&E. Everybody in our area gets a bill every month from Pacific Gas and Electric. So it's something that right there everybody can recognize. But the, the problem was when you look at the fires and you look at PG&E, PG&E had no good answer. I mean, they could do two things. They could cut power and hope that that stopped the fires and people would yell that their power was out or they could not cut power. The winds could knock down a power line. There'd be fires and people would say they should have cut the power. So what they did is they, uh, not wanting to get sued any more than they're being sued, mm-hmm. they decided we're going to turn off the power and we're not going to just turn off the power to the places we know there's going to be a problem. We're going to turn off the power to any place there might be a problem including places like San Bruno, San Mateo, and places where you don't think there's going to be a wildfire. Yeah, Kevin's house, my house. My house. Your house. And every time you do that, it's just going to get people all head up. And they were all head up. And they were calling their local representatives and everything else. And Sacramento started yelling. And we're not exactly sure what's going to happen next time. But at least it's raining now. And Rachel, sort of one of your specialties is this idea of, you know, this idea of whether this was Armageddon and is this mean the end of California as we know it, these kind of larger cultural pieces. Why why were people, uh, you know, looking at this as some kind of breaking point for California? Well, I, I think what was like particularly ruthless um, ab- about the shutoffs is the threat that they are actually going to become mundane you heard the phrase this is the new normal mm. like quite a lot you know so like since since my childhood in the 80s we've been talking about climate change and now like it's actually happening and like we actually have these fires and nobody actually has a good solution you know i mean we could say uh people let's stop living on the urban wildlife interface but we've 
already built some homes out there. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we just we can't reverse what's happened. Um, you know, we could say we want to harden all this infrastructure, put it underground. It's caught that would cost billions of dollars. Nobody nobody has like a really good idea for how to fix this problem. I mean, right now, the the only viable solution is this extremely um, primitive solution that PG&E has offered, which is cut off the power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. And what was really interesting in, in, in covering the story was the personal nature of, sure. uh, of the yeah. story for readers. Everybody wanted to know, am I going to lose power? When am I going to get power? Rachel, at one point we assigned you to write a story. Should I buy a generator? Yes. Um, it was very personal for people. Did you go buy a generator? I I personally didn't, although I um, did talk to, in fact, a Cal professor who studies um, energy issues mm -hmm. who said he 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 basically my understanding was he basically like used his car <laughs> to That's run right. his entire house. My That's wife has a, has an open request for me yeah. to find yeah, a generator although that upset. to buy right now. <laughs> oh, and, and that car technique is going to, I guarantee it's going to become more that popular. That upset some editors, yeah. by the way, who are worried that people are going to die of carbon yeah, monoxide chugging, uh, poisoning if we too. promote yeah. that. But, <laughs> oh, but I actually, popular. I think I got from that article, I got the the biggest response I can remember. I was so surprised by the amount of people who A, had questions about generators, but B, had extens had extensively looked into the issue of generators. <laughs> yeah, and now you're an expert. Yeah. <laughs> you're a generator expert. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So the last few years, number one, unfortunately, has been fire after fire mm. after fire. This has been a, a signature of this list. And number two on our list, unfortunately, is the Kincaid fire. Now, Interesting. Now, this was October 23rd in Sonoma County. A lot of damage for the Kincaid fire started under PG&E lines that were kept active during the shutoffs, right. but no deaths. Amazing. Yeah. And, and that was sort of a, that ended up being the big story. Yeah. It, it, evacuations happened more orderly in a more orderly fashion than they had in the, in the previous years. And people took the warnings seriously and, and quickly this time. Uh, some, despite the shutoffs, you know, you, you can't prevent any and all fires from breaking out there was there was a fire that broke out near my house it, it climbed to the ridge above my house and i evacuated uh from a from a live line they evacuated yeah. when the kincaid fire was going mm -hmm. from highway 101 in sonoma county all the way out to the coast again john where you were talking about with right. better safe than sorry well, yeah and that's exactly the the difference here in a lot of cases uh for public officials and everything else if they weren't waiting until there was actually, you know, the fire was coming down, you could see it from the foothills. You didn't see any of the, the stuff that you saw in the Santa Rosa fire with guys banging on doors, yelling, get the heck out with the flames right behind them. No, they said, hey, there could be a problem and we're going to make sure that if there is a problem, it's only structures that are damaged. Uh, and when they closed it, that whole area out there, out to the coast, people left because they realized this is serious stuff now. Yeah, you see that many people die over over just the last couple of years. You're not going to be, you know, futzing around. You're going to get out. Yeah, but an, also another example of how things have changed. Something we're going to have to get used to is evacuation shutoffs. I mean, the, this is going to be our our fall. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I got to stick with you, John. Um, a little bit different for number three. Nancy Pelosi's central role in impeachment, really kind of a legacy changer for her. Although we don't know the the end of the story yet. No, and it's uh, it could could really be changing. But I think that, you know, impeachment, sure. But I think the big picture you're going to get 
is her willingness to stand up to Donald Trump. I mean, that one picture you saw with her in her dress, standing up, pointing her finger at Trump with all older white guys Mm -hmm. sitting all around him. That's a picture that's going to be in textbooks later. I mean, it's a picture of her willingness to stand up against to a Republican, to a Republican she disagrees with, and to power. And a lot of people are going to look at that and say, you know, thank goodness it's Nancy Pelosi who's the uh, Speaker of the House right now and not some rookie that they pulled in because they thought she was past her time. But she took a lot of flack early on for not going ahead with the impeachment earlier and being a voice of, hey, let's not go there, let's not go there. And now she seems to not be taking uh, quite as much criticism that she held out. Yeah, it's a the the big question is what happens in the middle of the country. John, you were doing some research on this. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not going to make a bit of difference whatever she does in California. California is going to vote Democratic. They they're going to vote against Trump, and that's that's a given. But uh, again, in the uh, the heartland, the flyover country, uh, how is this going to be taken? I mean, that's where the Republicans have made her the boogeyman. She's just another San Francisco Democrat, and. She's, you know, evil incarnate. And certainly the president was out there with that letter he sent about, the, you know, how dare she say she's praying for him because she, he knows that's a lie. But again, you know, she's the focus, but she's standing up there and saying, I'm doing what I think is right. And, you know, I'm not doing this, uh, the whole impeachment stuff out of hate. I'm doing it because I think it's what's right for the country. And that resonates with a lot of people. All right. Well, I got to take a break. Uh, This is Fifth Admission. We're talking about the top 10 stories of the year in the Bay Area. We'll be back to talk about, unfortunately, a couple mass shootings, uh, problems on BART, and the homelessness crisis. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Metro Editor Damian Bulwa, and I'm here with reporters Kevin Fagan, John Wildermuth, and Rachel Swan. We're talking about the top 10 stories of the year in the Bay Area, as voted by our staff. So let's go through a few of the other ones that were in there. Uh, Rachel, you cover BART. Been a big issue in recent years. We had the, the stabbing death of Neil Wilson in 2018. And then just recently had a, another really terrible uh, stabbing death where a good Samaritan was killed. Um, another year where BART is facing some pretty big issues. Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing now is BART. Recall that, well, actually... Probably none of us recall. But when Bart, when BART was first built, it was envisioned as this like monorail respite from traffic. You know, you catch Richard Nixon on the way, give him a five. <laughs> you know, it's just like really idyllic system. I mean, I'm I'm only slightly exaggerating, really. Like BART was like this, you space know, beautiful, age. Yeah, yeah, space age rail, but but it was really like a respite from, you know, the aggravating freeways. Um, And now BART, you know, here we are, 2019, approaching 2020, and BART is this repository from for all these social problems that we're seeing outside. You know, um, BART. Homelessness. BART is where you see all the homelessness. People seek shelter in BART. Um, yeah, you know, you know, people, uh, for whatever reason, jump the gates at BART, uh, there's, there's crime in BART, um, I mean. And it's hurting their ridership. Yeah. Whether whether you're really unsafe or not, there's a perception that it's gotten. Yeah, there is, there is definitely a perception issue. Um, but, I mean, some of this is like, 
there's 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 some built-in problems with the way Bart is made that have just become a liability now. Like Bart is Bart was set up to just carry commuters to San Francisco, and now you have all these empty empty trains running to far-flung areas of the bay, parts of the East Bay throughout the day, and people are committing crimes on them, sleeping on them, you know, what have you. Um, there are things Bart can do to fix that, but it will take a lot of deep structural change. Well, the, the parking issue is also another thing. It's one of my hobby horses. I can no longer drive to Bart because they got rid of all the parking where I where I live. Yes. Uh, well, how is that going to affect people, you know, using Bart in the suburbs? And Rachel, I mean, you just wrote a big story about that, the sort of give and take between parking, using Bart and, you know, trying to encourage people to not drive at all. Uh, okay, so big trigger ro- warning right now. Mm. We're going to talk about parking. This is like just big primal, you know. This oh, is hot like button. this brings out our reptile brains here. But yeah. um, you know, so um, yes, Bart was designed with the promise that not only would you be able to drive your car to a Bart station, you would be able to park there for free and get a seat yes. on the train. Yeah. As we know, this is no longer true. Right. Get used to it. And instead (laughs) of building more parking, they're getting rid of parking. They are getting rid of parking and building housing. Now, here's the thing. Um, We need housing. We have a horrible housing crisis. Sure. We need housing near transit. We need, um, Bart needs housing near transit. Bart needs to fill these freaking empty trains that are going to Dublin, Pleasanton, Warm Springs throughout the day. But, and, and the... Bart by the state law, there has been a state law passed that says the best place to put this housing is on these parking lots, but it is going to take up parking spaces. And um, yeah, we're all going to have to find out, figure out a new way to get to Bart. Yeah, it's a big Kevin. thing. Mm-hmm. It yep. is causing rage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned homelessness, Kevin. This was a, another crisis year for homelessness where the numbers went up. Uh, in different cities, uh, San Francisco, Oakland in particular, saw a big jump, and it all kind of came together in this very strange fight over rocks in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, that was very strange. There, there was a, there's a neighborhood in San Francisco up near Castro uh, that was being overrun uh, by on one little tiny street, overrun by campers. And the trouble was that regular old campers are one thing. But there was a, a particularly loud and aggressive drug gang that was involved in this. So the neighbors decided they were going to install big rocks on the sidewalk to stop big drug tents from opening up. Because these guys were actually putting up giant tents and selling dope out of them. Uh, it kind of worked. Uh, it got a lot of people mad. Uh, the dope dealers moved down the street and said they'll be back as soon as the rocks are you know, kind of uh, settled with. And what happened was activists came and rolled the rocks into the street. Uh, it was it, it was a real flashpoint. Uh, it hasn't been resolved. It's and, still and not only play. hasn't it been resolved, but as we come to the close of the year, there's been a, a Supreme Court decision, not a, I mean, a, a sort of not deciding yeah. uh, to where police have less power to remove encampments. Yeah. We're still just fighting over the basic question of whether people can sleep on the street and what should be done to try to provide an alternative. Yeah, you you notice that what the legislature has been trying to work and fighting hard is for housing, saying the only best way to deal with homelessness and with street people and everything is to get a roof over their heads and even the make it affordable for even the people that, you know, are underhoused, so to speak. But the problem is, is not everybody's buying into that, as we found out down the peninsula. 
We found that the city of San Bruno, for example, you know, voted down a plan that fit all their zoning regulations, but they said, nah, we don't want that much housing in our city because the wrong sorts will live there. Uh, Similarly, right next door in South San Francisco, the city council agreed to a big project after all the people were yelling bloody, screaming bloody murder. No, don't put this in. It's going to disturb the way our city is, even though that place was walking distance from the South City BART station. So, yeah, people recognize there's a problem, but everybody wants to solve the problem in somebody else's city, somebody else's neighborhood, somebody else's dollar. And the problem is that at this point, there are 35,000 homeless people in the Bay Area. That's the size of a small city. And no one wants other people's homeless people to come into their city, but they have to handle it regionally. So there's been more talk about handling it regionally in the last year than I've heard in many years. So maybe there's some hope there, but it's very thorny and it's going to be tough to put together. Another fixture of this list, unfortunately, has been gun violence, mass shootings, public shootings. This year, we had a a terrible shooting at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. And then we had a shooting that killed five people at a house party on Halloween in Orinda. Unfortunately, all the reporters have gotten used to responding to these things, but they still really get under people's skin and, and, and people, again, don't seem to be finding the solution to them. Yeah, there's statistics. Let's say, you know, it, a mass shooting is four people or more, and they happen one a day in America. But the thing is, you can get numbed to that as a reporter and as, as a citizen. But every time one of those things happen, there is a person who has been killed, who has loved ones, who has friends, who is gone forever. And, and it resonates deeply with whatever community that happens in. And, and we have to it's it's really a terrible ongoing problem, and there does not seem to be a solution in sight. Well, it comes up to a political solution. I mean, uh, when you talk about uh, gun control or changes in uh, changes in regulations and everything, again, California has moved pretty far in that. They don't allow a lot of assault weapons. They have much stronger rules than the rest of the country. But again, you get a group in certainly uh, the Republican Party in Cal- in the Washington saying, "Hey." We, Second Amendment, you have a right to have a gun. Don't stop us from carrying our guns. And it does the issues of somebody getting shot, somebody's kids, isn't that terrible? But that doesn't bring to the point of saying, and so here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah, and I thought it just a really poignant part of that shooting. And it was our colleague, Matthias Gaffney, who broke the story, was that the 19-year-old man who's accused of the Gilroy shooting couldn't have bought because of his age, a semi-automatic rifle in California. He couldn't have bought this particular weapon, which is considered an assault weapon. Mm -hmm. But he went to Nevada. He bought Mm -hmm. it over the counter, fully legally, Mm -hmm. and simply drove it across the border. Yeah. Before we move on, one last story I want to mention is is vaping. It it wasn't a story that occurred in a single day, although um, there were a lot of stories on the front page. But it really captured the attention of everyone, and it seemed to really explode as people started to realize how much vaping was spreading through schools. Yeah, really. And it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it, because the whole original idea behind vaping is it was seen as an alternative to cigarettes, a, a way of delivering nicotine without the uh, cancer-causing problems. And, oh, boy, isn't this wonderful? Well, the problem is, is, yeah, it's wonderful, but the companies that were doing the vaping, that were putting out the stuff, are putting out flavors like bubble gum and, you know, peppermint and everything. And at least aiming, if not the advertising, at least aiming the vaping towards younger, uh, younger people. And that really 
got people going about this. Yeah, and there's been a realization this year uh, that vaping is is a problem. A couple years back, there was a lot of spin about it, it being mostly a smoking solution. And now there's a huge realization that, no, they're, they are capturing new smokers. Yeah. No. I remember someone sitting next to me at a bar a few years ago and saying, I wasn't even a smoker, but he was like, you need to try this. <laughs> like, oh. Vaping away. <laughs> oh, one of the homeless guys I got to know very well in a tent pulled this, uh, this thing out and said, this is the new thing. It's really cool. In yes. a tent. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Your story is colliding. So yeah. just really quick, put you on the spot. What do you expect next year? Is there anything that you think is going to to become one of the bigger stories? Kevin, start with you. Uh, homelessness will spike even further, uh, despite this huge effort regionally to handle it. John? We got an election, a presidential election coming up in November and a primary in March, and that's going to be all people are going to be talking about. Rachel? Housing. Housing. Cities need to build housing. Uh, the need to build housing near transit. Traditionally unsexy topics suddenly animating people. All right. With that, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you, Damien. Thanks to my guests on Fifth Admission today, reporters Rachel Swan, John Wildermuth, and Kevin Fagan. To King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth Admission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.